Is your name Dan? Yes. I need your head, my lad. You're my father. So your mother says, but that's no reason to believe it. Never trust a woman or a government. Well, pleased to meet you. I haven't got time for idle chit-chat. I need your head. Well, that makes a change. The mother seems to disapprove of me using it at all. You're not going to use it. You're going to lose it, lad. I'm going to use it. Right, put your neck over there. It'll be cleaner that way. You want to cut my head off? What for? I don't want to lug your body halfway round the world, do I? Your head's got a map on it that I need. Well, you don't need to kill me for it. Look... Why don't you copy it? What? And have two maps? Bugger off. Look, if you cut my head off, it'll start to putrefy. Do what? Uh, putrefy. Go rotten. Yeah, it would ooze a lot. Heads do, but I can live with that. No, stop. Look, I could help you, Dad. Everyone will be following you, and if they catch you, they'll have the map. Bugger them. I'll eat it first. Won't be the first head I've eaten. But then you'll have lost it forever. Look, wouldn't it be better to leave it where it's safe? What? And take you along, you're not pirate material, you wouldn't fit in. East, train, west, train. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 66 for May 24th, 2011. And if you're hearing the sound of my voice, it means you were not raptured and the world didn't end. Hooray! Hooray! Uh, yeah. And that uh, fellow cheering us cheering us along, cheering our survival along, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. How you doing, Kevin? Um, I'm well. I feel I feel alive, Pa. Yeah, feeling good. Alive. Feeling good. Good yes. to be alive. Good to have survived although, the end although, of the world. Although, apparently, apparently, the guy who predicted it, he he said that the world might still end in October. Yeah, so. he he shift, yeah. shifted it ahead a few months, and you know, so send him your money, whatever you have left, whatever you didn't give away, um, and we can prepare for this all again. Isn't that fun? No, but that means I can I can pack my winter clothes now, right? But I won't I won't pack my end of the world kit yet. But I can pack my winter clothes now. Yeah, right? and you don't need to worry about a Halloween costume this year because the world will actually end <laughs> ten days before Halloween. So you don't have to stock up on candy, uh, no fancy costumes, and uh, you probably won't need to go out and see whatever edition of Saw is being released at that time. There is a god, see. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are here not to talk about the end of the world or surviving it, but we are here to talk about movies. This is the show where we talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Um, and speaking of surviving, we survived the awards dinner held this past Sunday uh, for the lovehkfilm.com site. Uh, a few of us who are on the jury for that awards got together and had a nice little dinner and, and uh, chat. And uh, we're actually very fortunate to have a certain films director uh, attending the dinner with us and got to pick his brain a little bit uh, aside from picking through some of the food a nice time was had by all i actually recorded bits of the dinner uh, using my ipad and using the garage band app to try and test it out as a podcasting device uh, a little bit disappointed though kevin i gotta tell you um the the garage band app cuts out after somewhere between um, three to five minutes, and I've been trying to do some research online, and apparently it's not meant for, at least in its current state, long-term recording. Um, so oh, I'm not, screw that. Yeah, I'm not sure how useful it will be um, as a podcasting device. Now, I do know that there are other recording options out there in terms of apps that can record for much longer, so... I'll have to test those out too, but I was kind of excited because of the way the GarageBand app worked and your ability to plug in various devices through either the USB port or some nice add-ons like the one you were telling me about. What is it called? Um, uh, the iMic? Uh, the iRig? iRig, the iRig. yeah, the iRig yeah. Um, platform, yes. which has a nice microphone, and, and that one actually connects through the phone and microphone universal jack. 
Um, kind of disappointed though, it didn't work as well as I'd hoped, but we will keep experimenting with the technology. All right, just a couple news stories this week. Um, and in fact, Kevin, why don't you found these news stories, so why don't you take us through them? Yeah, sure, uh, sure thing. Uh, the Cannes Film Festival has wrapped up. Um, this year is kind of... Um, a lot of critics would say that it wasn't a very good year at Cannes. Um, quite a few Asian films. Uh, at least two in competition, if I remember correctly. Takashi Miike's, um Harakiri, the 3D film, and also um, Naomi Kawase's uh, latest Hanezu. Neither of them won any awards in the competition section, um, even though it does have it did have uh, Johnny Toe and Nansen Shi as two of the jury members. But in the I'll just say it like the American way, the uncertain regard section, um, a Korean film, the latest film by Kim Ki-duk, who did... Um, Bad Guy and uh, Three Iron and Dream. Uh, his latest uh, was one of the two winners, uh, top winners in that category. Uh, but it's a very controversial win because his film Ari Ariran um, was apparently panned because um, the entire movie is a mockumentary of Kim Ki Duk apparently in a cabin talking about himself and his the buddies that he's the bridges that he's burned and uh includes a scene of him watching his own movie and crying and i think it supposedly ends with him taking out a gun and shooting people and so so i'm guessing that's the point where it crossed into a mockumentary but yeah very controversial win but it's also one of the few only um asian wins at can this year so uh, well, i guess welcome back Kiduk. <laughs> even though the film is so I mean, weird yeah. It sounds like it's kind of an in-joke, an insider's joke for filmmakers, and maybe that's why it's doing so well in the jury. Well, I have no idea. I mean, the um, I, most critics have panned it uh, because it was so self-serving and nearly um, in, intolerable to sit through. Um, but at least this win will 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 guarantee pretty much guarantees that it will come to Hong Kong at some point at a festival, because not not only because of the Kim Ki Duck name, but also because of the of the award. Uh, so I guess I will have I am a little curious to see for myself just how bad this movie is supposed to be. Hmm. All right, uh, you got another news story for us about uh, digital project projection and dimming. Yes, sir. Um, an article surfaced, uh, I think, from Boston this week, um, revealing that several American theater chains, including AMC uh, and some of the big ones, they the ones that have been using the Sony 4K digital projector, um, apparently they've been, I'm not sure if the word is intentionally, but they've been showing films in digital projection at a very dim level because... Um, these theaters uh, have deemed it too troublesome to change the lens from the 3D projection. Um, I'm not sure what the the exact technical process is because there it, that, that article is three pages long, and I did read it, but I'm not sure if I want to go through it. But what happens is that because if that projector was showing a 3D movie, uh, apparently to change the lens, they would have to go through several security procedures. And if you mess up any of the steps, it will shut down to projector and take a long time to re, re to restart it for another 2D projection or whatever projection. So a lot of these theaters have decided to just leave the 3D lenses on uh, on the projector, which causes a very dim image uh, for a 2D movie. Now, of course, this is an American thing so far. Um, this does apply to us here in Hong Kong because I know at least one theater that uses a Sony 4K projection system. And I noticed because the, the theater, um, MCL in Causeway Bay, they advertise it as probably the best digital projector in, in Hong Kong because it's a 4K, 4K projector, which is, which is with the highest resolutions possible. Uh, the problem is that I've been to that theater a couple of times in recent months. And indeed, the 2D films shown there are in really, really dim projection, really, really dim light. And I, I have a feeling that's what happened. That is that because there's too little time between showings, uh, they don't bother changing the lenses and causing, you know, this theater, which is supposed to be one of the best theaters in Hong Kong, by the way, um, a huge screen, um, very good sound system. Uh, but all of the movies are, di are, are shown dim. 
which makes me angry. I mean, this was supposed to be one of the best uh, theaters in Hong Kong with uh, advertising one of the best digital projection systems in Hong Kong, and they can't even bother to change the lens to make sure films project properly. Hmm. I'm not sure how. Well, how do you feel about this, Paul? I mean, well, how do you feel about digital projection in the first place? Well, instead of film? Um, can you tell? I haven't usually seen... when you go watch a film. The only thing I think I really remember being able to tell a difference on was Cloverfield, because I watched that twice, and mm. I think the first time I saw it in Hong Kong, it was normal projection, and I think I watched it again later in the U.S., and it was digital projection. And the clarity was mm. and brightness was, was certainly different. Um, but now, you know, it's... It, any any more? I don't know. I, even three D films look dark. I mean, we'll we'll talk about Pirates of the Caribbean in a, in a little bit, and I felt that that film was kind of dark, and that was in three D. So mm-hmm. maybe it's just indicative yeah, but, yeah. of the technology itself, and that needs to be improved. Yeah. I don't. I I really can't conceive of what they've done to the system. I mean, as you explained it you know the having to go through certain steps and a security p- procedure that shuts down the projector it must be vastly different from my days when i was a projectionist working with uh you know films and platters and stuff because that was all very much straightforward and i just i don't know i i guess it's a completely different system i can't really conceive of why it's so troublesome and why they would have made a system that's that troublesome unless they're trying to use it as a way to phase out the old 2D? I don't know. Well, uh, theoretically, theoretically, uh, digital projection is supposed to, one, uh, save a lot of money on prints, uh, on making film prints, and two, um, take away the need so that, you know, uh, some kid getting paid, you know, minimum wage can run the projection or can run the projector without having to hire a professional uh, projectionist. But, uh, the problem here is that is that actually the, the actual procedure won't have to turn off the system. Is that if they make a mistake, then the whole system goes haywire or whatever. Um, and it just I'm not sure. It just you know I think the problem is that they don't have to now they don't have to bother hiring professional projectionists anymore. People who have you know professional standards who know what they're doing, so that you know you got these kids who don't know what they're doing, and to avoid let them let them screw up then we have to, we as consumers have to pay for it. Yeah. You well, know, digital projection looks beautiful. You know, it can look great. Um, and you don't have to, you don't have to run the risk of, you know, running a, a print, a film print that's been wear, worn down, you know, always, always the same quality and it can look great. Yeah. I guess I, I'm guessing that um, AMC is doing digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I remember when I looked at uh, Black Swan, I, I think I told you guys the story here where we had to watch it twice because mm-hmm. the file was corrupted. Um, and yeah. it got to a certain point and it would stop. And they said that they were going to have to re-download the file, I guess, or or some such thing. It, in, in, in effect, it was not a film problem. You know, it wasn't a traditional mm-hmm. film problem. So I'm assuming it was a digital print that they were projecting. Um, which is interesting, but this kind of ties back to what we were talking about last week and, or the last episode, because it was only a couple days ago, because <laughs> we recorded <laughs> on the weekend, but what we were talking about with the nature of the film experience going forward, you know, and if, mm. if cinemas are going to automate things, but then make it so that it's a bad experience for the customer. This is just going to push stuff forward more into the domain of the digital home download, you know, and people are not going to want to go to the cinema anymore. It's already bad enough with the 3D, as we've talked about. Um, so if you add insult to injury by making other experiences equally problematic, it's not really doing the theater chains any, any good in the long run. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the the whole exact reasoning is, and in the article, there's a lot of throwing back and forth of responsibilities and things like that. Well, having but, worked um, in a cinema, you know, and this was years ago, and like I said, I worked with film 
platters and, and those systems long, and there was no hide nor hair of digital or, or mm-hmm. digital talk at this time. But knowing how cinemas operate and theater managers operate and the way that they just undergo that sort of experience, I would imagine that it's exactly what you were talking about, that it's just people cutting corners, them not wanting to hire professionals, just whatever minimum wage kid they can get up there to throw some switches, press some buttons. And, you know, if it's easier for them to not do a lens change because the process is too complicated and they don't want to teach them and they don't want to run the risk of shutting the system down or they don't want to have an authorized person do it because I'm guessing it has something to do, when you mentioned the security aspect, it has something to do with the fact that they don't want these files getting out. You know, there, mm-hmm. maybe there's a piracy issue, so you can't have access to certain parts of the system or the system shuts down because it thinks you're trying to hack it or get access mm-hmm. to the file. I don't know. I'm just course, yeah. speculating. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out guesses here based on, you know, having worked my experience working in a cinema, though, I think that it's probably, you know, they're always trying to cut costs and do things on the cheap. The reason I became a projectionist was because they didn't want to hire a regular projectionist. So they got me, they pulled me from behind the popcorn counter, you know, uh, doing the minimum wage thing. And they said, here, here's how you splice. Here's how you tape. Here's how you start the machine. That was it. Um, And before that, normally they had a regular full-time projectionist who worked those spots. And during the period when I was Mm. working there, they had gotten rid of that guy and they just started having whoever was in concession running up there and doing it, um, and then coming back mm. down and working concession and cleaning the theaters. And you only went back up there if there was a problem. But before I had gotten there, the guy who was there, he was full time and he stayed up there. He he, you know, cleaned the the, the machines. He did all of that stuff, and um, they just wanted to do away with that position, and so they did. You know, as much as I love the big screen, I mean, it's, it's stories like these that. Make me just want to stick with a Blu-ray player and and buy a better home, buy an actual home theater, and just you know keep the movie experience yeah, that way. Because yeah. these theaters keep trying to keep cut corners. It's it's sad. It's yeah. getting sad. It's it's no longer pays to be a to be to watch to be an actual movie goer anymore. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about some. Uh, one East Screen film for this week, and that is Gantz' Perfect Answer, the sequel to Gantz. And Kevin, uh, why don't you tell us, if you can, do we have a perfect answer for all the questions that the first film left us with? I don't think it even asked a perfect question. Um, so Gantz' a Perfect Answer uh, is the second part of this um one big five-hour movie called Gantz, based on a uh, popular comic book, which is still actually going, by the way, still running in Japan. Um, so obviously, they deviate quite a bit uh, in the second part because it does give you a complete ending to the story. Um, continuing from the first film, there's a, I guess this would be a little bit of a spoiler uh, for the first film. Um, a certain one of the two main characters have died. Um, after at the end of the first film, so the other person who survived um, is spending uh, is trying to revive him by following the rules of Gans is to get a hundred points um, on the game of this alien killing game. Uh, so he's doing that. Meanwhile, uh, there's a, a kind of pop star who has been assigned uh, by a tiny version of the Gans orb to kill certain people. Uh, the reason will be will be explained later on uh, in the film. So you got that parallel story going on, and you also have the uh, at the end of the first film. There, they they introduce uh, an investigative journalist slash investigator type uh, who is investigating these mysterious incident that resulted in a lot of destruction in the first film. So here, he's also closer, getting closer to the answer. Meanwhile, the, the alien-killing, uh, leather-wearing uh, Gantz minions, um, these alien killers, they run into a group of uh, really mean, dangerous, violent uh, aliens this time called uh, Men in Black Aliens, who are threatening to take down Gantz. So those are the three 
major storylines that are happening in Gantz Perfect Answer. And, you know, I'm not sure if it really answers much, much, much questions from the first movie because, you know, the first movie didn't really ask good question. Um, so here it does raise more questions. Actually, I think it does um, raise some, you know, good things that carry on to, to the end of the movie. Uh, and it did answer quite a few of them. Uh, the problem is that we're not sure if every all the answers really make sense. You know, it gave you an answer, it it gave you an explanation, but you know, they're not really they don't really make sense. They don't really um they're not really good answers. So let alone perfect answers. Um like I said earlier, the film deviates from the comic because the comic is still going on. Um I would just spoil it for you because the comic talks about an alien invasion and Gantz dying, so the movie does not end that way. Uh, it does give you a complete ending to the story that they set up in the first part. Um, so don't worry about me spoiling the film because it is different. Um, the second film does have bigger uh, bigger action, I guess more ambitious action sequences. Um, they're kind of smaller in scale, but you have the um, two really two major, major action scenes here, uh, one involving a subway train, um, that kind of gives a twist on the whole Gantz alien killing formula that they set up in the first film, um, and also a kind of a big climac- climac- climactic fight um, outdoors, which is uh, pretty impressive for a Japanese action movie because you don't really have many places to shoot outdoor action scenes uh, in Japanese cinema, I guess. Uh, and that's a good thing. I, I actually I was engaged with the action in the film, Um but the story is a little more dense than the first one. It's so dense that it kind of makes the first part uh, seems really stretched out because the first part doesn't really say tell you much of the story. In fact, they left, I would say, I think two-thirds of the story is left for the second part of the film. Uh, I mean, and I mean perfect answer. Yeah, not, not two-thirds of this film. Um, so the first film just seems a lot slower after you watch, and a lot more episodic as well, uh, after you watch A Perfect Answer. Uh, unfortunately, only the men in black aliens this time. Uh, no more cool aliens. I like the onion head on, uh, alien blowing up, and I like the, I kind of, and I really like the metal robot thing. Uh, also in the first film, no one that cool here. Just main one main group of alien villain villains. So, um, if you're looking for those, uh, if that's what you liked about the first movie, you might not like the second movie as much. Um, after watching this conclusion, overall, I think it's better than the 20th Century Boys franchise. Uh, and we're doing it this way because uh, those three films are also shot as one big film. Uh, Gantz is also shot in, uh, as one big film. And they're both um, produced by the same television station, uh, same company. Uh, hence the comparison. I think it is better than the 20th Century Boys uh, series because um, 20th Century Boys story is really dense. I've read parts of the comic and it tells a really, really ambitious story that they just even they couldn't even pull it off in three movies, uh, and it felt really rushed. Uh, so I would say the Gantz series is a little more successful than than 20th Century Boys, just because it isn't telling um, such a complicated story, and it does kind of take it does kind of take its time to concentrate on certain points, and it felt it feels better paced. Uh, it's also the action is also a little more accomplished, uh, even though it does have a lower a similar budget, I guess, per on a per film basis. Uh, we talk about the actors. Not much to say about the actors because there's not much acting required. Um, do I think that Perfect Answer is better than the first film? I, you know, I think it's a more entertaining film than the first film because uh, it does tell a complete... In a way, it completes a story and it does tell a more dense story the 142 minutes is a little more justified than the 130 in the first part. Um, it's a okay ending, even though story-wise, again, it's uh, tries a little too hard to go a certain certain direction. Um, overall, I would say the whole franchise, the whole Gantz film, both films together, I would say is a good time. It's a good TV movie. Uh, we could five find five hours to watch it, especially in a good home theater because certain parts, the action stuff are pretty cool. Um, and I don't, if you're a fan of the comic, I don't have to tell you to see it, skip it or TV it because either way you're going to see it. So um, see it uh, for those people. And, you know, if you're not interested in alien movies or, you know, comic adaptations, then why are you even considering watching this movie? Skip it for those guys. Paul? Yeah. Um, 
I know. You, I think you have a, a little more negative. Uh, yeah, a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came away from this thinking, what the heck did I just spend five hours of my life doing? Um, you know, the first one, or the first part, I should say, if they were filmed together, it sets out so many questions, and it answers almost none of them. So when you come out with a, a sequel, and you title that sequel Perfect answer. Um, my expectation is that at least some of my questions are going to get answered. And as I think back, almost none of my answers, uh, my, my questions were, were answered at all. Um, all this was, all this became was, was more action set pieces that took forever to get to. Um, you know, so if part one is the origin story, you know, if part one is the Spider-Man one, or it's the first X-Men movie, you figure that part two, all right, you're just going to go boom and get right into it, right? But I was looking at my watch, it was like 45 minutes in before they even mm -hmm. got to any kind of action. Um, and they weren't really doing a lot of explanation. It was just setting up this new plot that was going on, as you mentioned, with this with this star and sort of trying to figure out the mystery of what happened with one of the characters at the end of the first one. Um, but overall, the second half, you know, granted, I understand now, as we were talking about before the show, that these were filmed in conjunction, but it looks like they put all the money, for the most part, in the first half. You know, because yeah. all you've got in the second half is, is the fight with these guys called the Men in Black Aliens, and they're just actors in black suits, you know. Um, there's a couple, you know, transformations, and they become like, I guess it's like a black goo, you know. So, th so you think, uh, you know, T T-1000 uh, from the Terminator, you know, they can, you know, melt a little bit and, and change shape and make swords, you know, come out of their arm and stuff. But they're just dull. I mean, they, they were not exciting. And the first one is all about variety. Like, I, I think when I was saying, when we were talking about that one, they've got all these different aliens. And I wanted to know why they were all different, where they came from, you know, what they were doing here. And so now you've gotten rid of those, and you've just got these men in black aliens. Um, because, obviously, it's cheaper. Because you don't have to worry about costumes and... And, and fancy CGI or attempts at CGI. Um, and you just have some guys on some wires going around and, you know, killing and shooting each, each other. Okay, fine. But it's just dull in comparison. It should have been reverse. It should have been, you know, these guys should have been in the first one. And then they build to the big Buddha aliens and the, the, the thousand-armed uh, alien and stuff that we saw in the first one. That should, that should have been in the second one. Um, well, I think you were just following the... the well, I mean, I'm sure the story is a lot more fleshed out in the comic, and and we get a lot more answers. Um, maybe. I, yeah, know, I don't know. I'm, yeah, again, I'm coming so. at this as somebody who's not seen the comic, and it just yeah. seems like it starts on a big-budget point and then goes to a, a low-budget point. And um, by the end, I got no answers. I got no reasons as to why, how. Um, one of the guys we were going with he said you know what happened to the aliens by the end they, they it's just like it 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 doesn't answer anything it it, it goes yeah. to these two big fights and and it takes a lot of time to get there there's a lot of exposition and people scratching heads and and it's just like why why did i why did i go through all this i mean the concept the design i like you know it's attractive it makes the films worth seeing but the narrative is just not there. It's just not what I think, at least maybe the Japanese audience digs it. I don't know. But I think, you know, Western sensibilities are just going to go, you know, this is like lost with no answers ever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no, 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 not, no season finale explaining or wrapping things up. Nothing. It's just, okay, this happened. No rhyme, no reason. It just did. And this was the end result. Um, and yeah, it was. I, I think it is missing a sec. It feels like it's missing a second act. It yeah. does feel like yeah. it's missing a middle. If you even put them together, um, and and yeah, I don't know. It's it seemed like it had really good potential, 
I, I was really interested in in what was going on. I really wanted to know more, but the fact that they didn't seem ready to tell me more uh, just, I don't know, it made me kind of angry. Um, it makes me wonder, too, because I, you mentioned and some other people that I know read the manga have said the manga hasn't finished and that, mm-hmm. you know, it's turned out quite differently, a lot of what's gone on. And Japan does this all the time. And it's one of the most annoying things. It's it's sort of what's pushed me away from a lot of, you know, reading Japanese manga and, and anime and stuff. And it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, growing up reading comic books, Spider-Man, uh, Batman, that kind of stuff, the thing that fed, that I got fed up with, with American comics was that they never ended. You know, the, the villain, you, you would defeat the villain, but he'd always escape. You'd think the villain was mm-hmm. killed, but he'd always come back, you know, 50 issues later. And with some really ridiculous, miraculous tale of how you thought he was dead, but actually he wasn't. Or they reboot the whole universe and start all over. Um, and that, that really drove me away from American comics, and that's when I started getting into manga and anime, because their stories were a lot more complete, you know? They would run a series. Like a serial, yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. would eventually have an end, you know? Some would end after 20 books, some would end after 200. But they had a conclusion, and if they did really well, they'd bring it back with a new story, you know, going in a new direction and a new conclusion. But they were always, you know... There, there was a finality to a lot of the narratives. But this reminds me of what they did with um, Full Metal Alchemist. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that title. But, um, you know, the mangas were doing well, so they made the anime. And the anime got ahead of the books. And so they started going in their own direction. And then they kind of ended the anime, and it was an unsatisfying ending. They'd gone well beyond where the books were, so they were kind of making it up. And then they came out with a movie to try and rectify uh, the ending for a lot of the fans. And then the movie had nothing to do with anything that was going on in the, in the books. The books eventually caught up and, I guess, finished. And so then they went back and they made an anime series of it again that follows the books exactly. So you get, like, these weird, you know, offshoots that... They want to cash in on the title because the title's doing well, but it's not quite finished, and so it gets changed. Or, you know, kind of like what they did with um, Space Battleship Yamato that we talked about a few weeks ago. They just go in and and they, they alter it, and they don't really stay true to the material, and I don't know if they're trying to be experimental or artistic or, or what, and it ultimately ends up not working for me, and that, that's kind of how I feel about this film. Um, I am kind of interested maybe going to read the manga now, um, but I don't think I'll, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I want to spend the time if I'm not going to get any answers from that either. So, Well, like I was uh, mentioning, the, the manga w- went way, too, way different direction with them throwing away the, the black ball uh, mission structure and onto, uh, onto an alien invasion defense plot. Yeah. Would you would you rather that the the film went that direction instead? I would I would rather have the, I would rather the film had told me, you know, more about why, why were aliens there, um, you know, why were why were there different aliens, why were mm-hmm. these people selected or 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 pulled from near death experiences, and you know to to fight the aliens? Why not pull living people in? You know where where is where is the black ball from i mean what's the per you know, there's just so many questions you know what happens if you don't finish the mission in the, the allotted time or you know and even the, its own logic it was kind of weird you, you remember the one guy from the first film who was always scared i can't remember his name mm-hmm. but he's always yeah, scared well, he's he was always scared he was moment. always hiding <laughs> okay so we get to yep. the second film and he's still alive because, you know, he's kind of, he, he's really the smartest guy, you know, because he knows he doesn't have the skills and he just ends up hiding for the whole mission. But then mm-hmm. they get to a, a scene where they've got, you know, they're going to pick somebody to come back because he's got 100 points. And it's like, how did he get 100 points? He never does anything. Um, right. But but he had, he, he had gotten 100 points first ahead of the main character. And so he got the first pick of who to bring back. It was just weird. Um, yeah. 
And again, the design's great, the concept's great, the story, not so much. Um, but if you're somebody who digs films like this, I mean, if you dug uh, something like, you know, Cass Hearn or um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, oh, the Bounty Hunter movie. It was also an anime, I can't remember. Uh, Z-Ram. Um, you know, if you dig stuff like that, where the, 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 the story's kind of kooky, the effects are okay, um, you, it, it's worth a, it's worth a look, but, uh, I definitely couldn't see buying this on a Blu-ray or, or a very expensive medium. If I have 20th Century Boys, I, I should, by all logic, buy Gantz, but no, I don't, I don't really have Well, you know, any, this is the thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's it's like they do this with all the stuff that they bring over. I mean, they did it with um, oh, what's the one I liked? Uh, um, not L, um, Death Note. Death Note. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and and I guess Death Note as a movie is is okay. I mean, it it's it holds up fairly well, um, you know, mm -hmm. for the for the two films. But again, they really divert off away from the manga. Um, mm. and I guess, you know, I accept that you have to do that to some extent because of the way that, you know, movies are different from books. I mean, I'm, I'm participating in some forums right now. We, we talked a little bit last time about the Game of Thrones, uh, HBO series, mm -hmm. and I haven't read the books for that. And, but a lot of people have, and I'm on some forums where people are talking about the differences and for the most part, most of the fans are pretty pleased. They they note the minor changes that have been made, but because the author is kind of on board and and working with mm -hmm. the the producers, um, it's fairly accurate, you know, with regard to the books. And so fans are really happy. I haven't read the books, but I think it's an awesome series, um, and so it's all good. But then, you know, when they do stuff like this, it seems like the totally opposite. Because I don't know. It's like I said, they they want to be artistic or they want to. They want to put their own name on something that's already got some renown behind it in a, in a fan community. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. But again, I'm approaching this from my own Western idealism, and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. to talk about our West Screen film for the week, and that is the latest Disney film, um, a sequel of sorts, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Um, so this fourth installment of the franchise is coming from director Rob Marshall, his uh, first attempt at helming the series, bringing back Johnny Depp as the title, uh, the title character, um, or the, I should say the most famous character from the series, uh, Jack Sparrow. Adding into the mix is Penelope Cruz, Ian McShane, and also returning is Jeffrey Rush as Captain Barbosa. So the story kind of picks up where the last film left off before the 10-year jump. Um, if you remember the, the, the third film, there was an ending part where um, Barbosa had... Um, left Jack marooned and basically taken the Black Pearl, but then there was a 10-year jump to um, show um, Elizabeth and, and Will's um, character what happened to them. So I'm guessing this kind of takes place in between there still. I, I don't think it's actually 10 years um, later, but basically Jack has returned to England um, to find that somebody is... Uh, using his name to recruit sailors and to commission a ship to look for um, the Fountain of Youth, which there was a, a hint of that in, in film number three. Um, and so he has this bit of a map, and 
he gets embroiled in this race to find the fountain, and it is a race between um, a Spanish a Spanish king and uh, um, the British forces and uh, the new pirate on the block, um, Blackbeard, played by Ian McShane. Um, and so from there, it's basically more of the same, of what we've seen in Pirates movies. There's swashbuckling. There's Johnny Depp being Johnny Depp. Um, Keith Richards has a cameo, again, as uh, Jack Sparrow's father. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of just going through the motions of stuff we've seen before. Uh, on the plus side, it's got really good attention to detail, as one would expect from a Disney film. My favorite thing, and this is kind of stupid, um, that th this kind of shows where my mind lies at as a Disney fan, but at the, in the very opening of Disney films, you've got the Disney logo that shows the Magic Kingdom castle, and there's, the, um, there's a river that goes through the center of, of the castle. And for this film, um, as they kind of uh, set the shot on the castle, uh, they have two mermaids that jump up out of the water in the river. I, little details like that. Uh, I love stuff like that. Um, um, so I was kind of excited, and, and, and I thought that was neat, and I was ready to go, ready to watch the film. Um, and, yeah, it's just kind of a letdown from there. Uh, the new characters here really can't make up for the old. We obviously can't see Will again or Elizabeth, you know, because of the narrative that was set up for them at the end of the third film. So they have to bring in some new people, and that is here in the character uh, played by Penelope Cruz, who is the daughter of Blackbeard, and also she has a sort of an old flame relationship with Jack Sparrow. Um, and there's a young missionary character who's kind of the young... Um, he's trying to be sort of the, the young, handsome, you know, replacement for uh, Will's character, but it's just, it's not really working. Um, again, the art design here is really great, and that's kind of what drew me into it. The costuming, uh, the look of the characters, the look of the ship, um, some of the sets. I, I, they did some of the filming in Hawaii, um, so that looks really nice. Um, but in terms of the characters themselves, uh, I, you know, uh, I have to attribute this to Kevin, who had tweeted uh, earlier about this. He said, you know, Jack Sparrow is basically not leading man material. He was set up in the films mm -hmm. as comedic relief, and that's his strong point. He doesn't really, I don't know, he doesn't really bring it out here, uh, at least for me. Um, and... In terms of the villainy, you've got Blackbeard here. Not as cool as Davy Jones. I mean, not that I really liked the second and third film, but when you've got this character who's basically like a huge, squiddy-faced octopus voiced by Bill Nye, um, you don't get much better than that. Uh, so it, Blackbeard comes in, and he's okay, but it's just it was kind of like a step down. Uh, there were neat concepts here, but it's... Again, going through the motions, um, there's sword, a couple sword fights, but there's no ship battles. You know, how can you have a movie without, you know, ship-to-ship -ship cannon fire? Um, that's about pirates. I, I was very disappointed. Uh, it kind of felt like they were doing this on the cheap because we didn't have any uh, large-scale ship battles. And I felt the choice of the director was kind of odd here. You look at the stuff that Rob Marshall's done. I mean, it's done Chicago... I think most recently he did nine. Um, not really who I would expect to, you know, come in, step in, and, and direct a pirates movie. Not that he did a bad job, but just I just felt it was it was kind of weird. Uh, there's a mermaid plot here that that goes along with the quest to find the Fountain of Youth, and so that's kind of why they had the mermaids in the intro. And that plot just kind of ends. There's no real resolution to it. The, the, the way that they go out with it, kind of reminiscent of Splash. Uh, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but I doubt many of you listening is probably, you're too young to have ever seen Splash. Uh, but if you want to <laughs> talk about mermaid movies, uh, that's a decent one. Tom Hanks, John Candy, uh, Daryl Hannah. So overall, yeah, the film's just, it's going through the motions. It knows what it needs to do, but it's just kind of painting by the numbers. And the end result is not that interesting. 
I'd say if you were a fan of the first three, this is worth a non-3D matinee. Um, if you didn't like the first three, you can, you know, take a pass because this is really nothing special. There's nothing, nothing outstanding here. I kind of liked this one a little bit more than three, um, probably on par with two and nowhere near as good as the first one. So yeah, Kevin. Well, okay. I, I kind of like the first three movies, um, even the second and third movie, because, you know, with money, that means they could go as crazy as possible with the action sequences. And they went pretty crazy. You know, you had the the squid and there's always these these elements of magic, you know, they're they're really cool to see. In the first one, we got the skeletons um, in the second and third movie, we got the squid and, and you got in the third movie, you got the dream or the delusional sequences and none of that ambition or visual ambition is here i mean you, okay you got the mermaids which is okay but um i guess um the problem again like you like you said i tweeted uh so i'm just repeating my own tweet uh like you said i tweeted um jack sparrow is not a leading man he's not a hero he is um a comic relief who needs a straight man to lead the story and you know he gets his few moments and he gets to ad lib and and have some fun Everyone remembers a comic relief and not the leading man because no one remembers much about, you know, the guy who drives the story. They remember the, the guy who made them laugh. Um, but the problem is they, they kept listening to people about wanting more Jack Sparrow and they forgot what made him interesting a character because you can always – he's not a reliable character. He's always – you know, acting, you know, for his own good and you don't know what he would do and he has that unpredictable nature that heroes shouldn't have and hero doesn't have. And I think that's what made Jack Sparrow an interesting character to watch. But here, now he's a hero and you know he's not going to change because he somehow has to be the good guy and he's not that interesting anymore um, except for, you know, the couple of ad-libs that Johnny Depp does. Um, the film itself doesn't really justify his own existence because... Again, they're rebooting the franchise here. The excuse is they're trying to um, bring new fans and I guess reboot the franchise into a new direction to start the new new trilogy because the the, the first three movies uh, have already wrapped up that story. Um, and yeah, and I think that's what you talk about, the, the ten, skipping 10 years at the end of the film. That was wrapping the first three stories. So this one kind of reboots the whole thing. But you know, the, the real reason is that you know, they rebooting this franchise, uh, new story, new characters, because they need to make, um, sorry, let me fix my mic a little bit. They need to make a cheaper movie because the first, the last two films, the budget has been so bloated that Disney cannot afford to make another really, really expensive Pirates movie. So that's probably the excuse of why they went to, to reboot because they need a low budget to get a green light. So the result is that it felt like another episode in a TV series. Um, it's just kind of there on its own. Um, it doesn't really escalate anything. It doesn't really elevate anything that's been, that's been done before and better before. Um, it doesn't really have any need to exist. The Fountain of Unis and MacGuffin is kind of boring. I know they hinted at it in the, in the third movie, if I remember correctly. They hinted at it. Um, which I guess would be why they bring it, they brought it back here, but, um, it's not really that good of a MacGuffin. Um, like in the, in the first movie, I don't remember the MacGuffin in the second or third movie already. All I remember is trying to beat the squid guy, which is pretty cool unto itself because he's a squid guy. You know, he has a, he has a, un, a level, he has a ship of the undead. How do you kill a ship of the undead? And in the first film, you know, they're trying to return a treasure and that's the MacGuffin, which is pretty cool. Um, here, this is the straight up Fountain of Youth thing, and it's just kind of yawn. It's really boring. There's no real strong motivation for the adventure. Like I said, the first film had the returning of the treasure, which, and you got the chase. You got the chase trying to rescue the damsel in distress, which means you have two very strong motivations driving the film. And here, it's just okay to trying to get somewhere. So it doesn't really work as well. The characters aren't strong. Mermaid and the Missionary, the romantic subplot, boring. Um, um, Jack Spur and Angelica. You know, I mean, that's the Penelope Cruz character. Don't care. <laughs> Penelope Cruz standing on a deck saying, you know, saying these pirate lines, you know, study as she goes. If that Spanish accent, you know, it's just really distracting because I, I have a feeling she keeps trying to speak English instead of really trying to act. 
Um, you know, Penelope Cruz is fine. You know, she's a star, but doesn't really add anything to the adventure. Ian Machine could have been a really kick-ass villain. I mean, there's one man with stronger voice than Bill Nye. Ian Machine, he has that voice. He has like the voice. He has like he he has a voice that's better than the movie trailer guy voice. You yeah. know, that's I mean, awesome. he just came across as like but, Al Pacino in this film for me. You know, it's like if Al Pacino he just, he just, you know, were a pirate, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, say hello to my little ship. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> it just wasn't working. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, you know, he has that rope, the, the zombie thing that didn't really, it never really went the gothic way the first movie really went. Yeah. You know, he has skeletons. They're really cool. There's that really scary sequence where Kira Knightley's running around the boat and all these skeletons are running in her face. You know, and you don't even have anything that's actually gothic like that. It never felt... Like, you know, there's real darkness in this world. Um, I guess the mermaid is supposed to be dark because they have like vampire teeth and they jump and eat people, whatever, the hell, eh, whatever. Um, I, it's not really, you know, it didn't really work for me. The characters here, um, Rob Marshall, um, he's okay. I know they he, he kept men talking about how the action sequences are like shooting dance sequences, and I could see how he incorporated that into doing uh, the sword the sword fighting sequences um and that's fine but Gore Verbinski has such he was so so good at doing the dark humor and mixing all these spectacle stuff with little bits of weirdness and the dark humor um even second and third films uh, to the point where it just seems like uh Rob Marshall's trying to emulate that and I guess to an extent Jerry Bruckheimer because he is the producer of the film um, and Jerry Bruckheimer is Jerry Bruckheimer, so you know how much power he has. So it just felt like they were trying to s emulate earlier stuff instead of creating something new and and doing it not as well as Gore Verbinski did. Um, and I know we should talk about the 3D a little bit. Um, I paid $130 Hong Kong, $136 Hong Kong dollars to watch this movie. Uh, granted, I went to the most expensive theater in Hong Kong, but the inflated ticket prices with the length and the 3D means I have to pay almost triple of what I usually pay for like a regular matinee or, or uh, uh, even like a regular price nighttime movie here in my neighborhood. And it was a waste of my money. You know, I, okay, they, they shot it in 3D. I know they shot it for 3D. So they framed certain things in 3D, the knife coming off the frame and, you know, certain things, you know, coming out of the screen. And, and I guess... You know, at least they designed it 3D instead of, you know, doing the post-conversion like Clash of the Titans. But it didn't really convince me it was needed at all. Especially since half the movie half the movie takes place at night and the 3D glasses dim the movie. Yeah. And it just didn't justify the extra prices for me. I mean, did it how did it work for you, Paul, the 3D? No. Um and you know, it's as I as I was tweeting about earlier, basically I don't go to uh anything but morning shows now. Uh, for 3D movies, uh, because you know the morning shows here. Are f at least we have the fortune of getting for getting for half price, and so you know with me and and Gia going together, you know 130 bucks would quickly become you know 260. So I'd rather get the half price ticket, wake up a little bit earlier, and you know at least we can defer the 3D cost a, a little bit that way. You know, and and plus the yeah. fact we've got to bring our own glasses now. It's just, you know, it's, it, and we don't have a choice. You know, there, there's no non-3D version for a lot of films uh, to choose from. Or so. they put it, they put it right on the boondock so, so they can, they can write down their accounting that we tried to put a 3D, a 2D version out, but yeah. no one went to watch it. That kind of thing. Um, uh, but I'm hoping that the news that, not only the news that the movie did, didn't do as well as a third film, uh, especially in the States. And that uh, I think I just read that only three uh, D 3D, 3D screens only accounted for 39 percent of the grosses this past weekend. Non non IMAX three D only accounted for I think thirty nine percent. I'm hoping someone finally listens. Um, in America, you give it a choice, and the consumers have spoken. Uh, I'm hoping that we here we're trying to make some difference here, letting people letting these distributors know that we want choices. Um, the 2D versions have done fairly well in screens that people actually go to in the Senate Art in Kowloon Bay. I'm not sure how it did the Grand. The Grand had a 2D version as well. I've heard it did quite well even in Kowloon Bay at the Senate Art. Um, so I'm hoping distributors will finally listen and give us more 2D screenings. 
yeah, and realize that people are going to choose not to go to a movie at all if they have to watch it in 3D. But it, it's it's just a weird choice. I mean, I don't really... After the third film came out, I don't really remember a lot of people clamoring for more of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like they ended it and... It was okay the way they ended it. I know a lot of people didn't really care for the second and third film compared with the first, but it was done. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember going on forums and saying, "Yeah, I can't wait till they make another pirates movie." And the 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 way that you know you're you're mentioning this is sort of a reboot, I think is interesting. But we didn't need a reboot. This these movies aren't that old. You know? Yeah. Um. Y- you talk about doing a reboot of. Superman, well, I mean, it's okay. I mean, the, the Christopher Reeve Supermans are from, you know, the 1970s, for goodness sake. But, you know, these are all, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of these are post-millennial films. So mm-hmm. we don't need to reboot that soon, do we? Well, they are really good money printing machines. I mean, imagine the deals that these stars get. I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer, how much residual he'll get. Johnny Depp, how much money he'll get. Not just from, from his, you know, first soft salary, how much back ends he'll get. And this movie just broke, I mean, just made $260 million global uh, worldwide. I mean, think about, if, even if Johnny Depp gets 5% of that, you know, how much money he's going to get. Of course, they all, you know, Disney wants it. Bruckheimer wants it. Johnny Depp wants it. We don't. They don't care if we want it because these movies are not made. It wasn't made as an artistic thing in the first place. It's based on a Walt Disney, you know, Disneyland ride. For crying out loud! But it would have so, been. It would have been yeah. so much better if they would have made this instead of it being a sequel, which seems out of place, doesn't really make sense. Do do it as a prequel. You know, mm-hmm. show the origin of Jack Sparrow, and I know you wouldn't get Johnny Depp for that. You'd get a younger, you know, a younger Johnny Depp ish kind of kid, but show. You know, let him be the leading man. Let him be sort of the Orlando Bloom character where he's, you know, naive and, and, you know, new into this swashbuckling world and following in the footsteps of his dad, who is the Johnny Depp character. So Johnny Depp could play the dad if you have to bring his name into it, you know, as, as a person. But then, you know, how does he go into becoming Jack Sparrow? I mean, what 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 critical thing in his life turns him into, you know, down this path where he's sort of this roguish, undependable, you know, self-serving kind of a guy. Well, I don't even need to go that far back. I I wouldn't mind just finding out a story from maybe five years, six years, ten years before the first film. I mean, even when Jack Sparrow is Jack Sparrow, but, you know, him, Barboza, and, you know, they kept mentioning Singapore in the first couple of movies. Yeah. Um, just all those adventures before, before they had to go down this really big almost, you know, big to $400 million movie path, you know, like there are, must have been more adventures before that. And I don't need to go all the way back to young Jack Sparrow. I just want Jack Sparrow, more Jack Sparrow, but without, without having to, because they kept, the thing is they can't, they can can pull back the budget, but they couldn't pull back on the MacGuffin. So they kept going to, you know, Fountain of Youth, and what what are they going to go next? I mean, would it go hunting Nazis next? I mean, what else can they? <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, but let's we'll go for the Ark. <laughs> and like, what else are they going to go next? They must want well to go back, turn it down, emphasize the adventure, turn down the MacGuffin or, or you know, whatever. I mean, it just... Well, it I guess they figured if, the, if they were yeah. going to do a prequel, it would have to be, you know, Jack Sparrow going undercover as a, as a pirate, you know, <clears> and they would call it 21 Pirate Street or something. um sorry that's an old old reference um but yeah it's eh, i don't know i wanted to like it a lot more than i did it wasn't terrible but it wasn't great yeah i i would say tv it because it feels like a tv movie and it ought to be i guess enjoyed best on tv when you're not we don't have to pay too much attention bring bring back the disney movie of the week (laughs) just pull out some of the old uh, stock footage of walt and you can do all that computer manipulation to make him, you know, talk about something current or something. So it looks like it fits. And you know, this week we're bringing Johnny Depp back to do Pirates 5, you know. <laughs> That'd be great. And, and, and Disney, seriously, you want to hire me to write you the uh, Pirates of a Caribbean hunting Nazis movie? I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I will do it.
You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Let's talk about some comments. Uh, because of the frequency between these past two shows, we haven't had a lot of chance for much commentary, but we did get a couple of comments. Picking up from our discussion last time on the uh, region coding for Hong Kong Blu-rays, David Harris wrote back, he said, um, uh, where is it? Yeah, he says, there's some very odd region A locked and not locked choices that have been made, though. So, so, for example, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible and Men Suddenly in Love are Region A locked, but are very unlikely to get any play internationally, yet Revenge, A Love Story, and Stool Pigeon, which are much more likely targets for Region B distribution, are region free. Um, so, yeah, he brings up an interesting point. I didn't know that, uh, that uh, Stool Pigeon was region free, and I went and looked it up, and I'm, sure enough, there it was. Um, but I think everything that I've gotten on Blu-ray so far has been Region A locked. This is uh, strictly a distributor issue, I think. Uh, Media Asia, whatever movie it is, they'll put a probably put a region. No, I think. Oh yeah, they did do. Okay, yeah. Um, so Media Asia probably whatever it is they do Region A locked. Um, we're a little more lucky with Vico, which did which do all the Emperor films. They probably just unlock everything. Um, same for Parama. I guess CN, who is the who are doing uh, Men Suddenly in Love, they just simply just lock down everything. So I think it's a if you look at distributor, you're more likely to be able to predict whether that movie will be region locked or not. Mm-hmm. So that's one tip that David can go by. If you would like to follow up and send a comment or a question, you can. Find us over at our website at www.concast.com or you can check in with us on iTunes and leave us an iTunes review. Um, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, things you'd like to see differently on the show. We'd be happy to um, hear any feedback that you have. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Kongcast or you can follow Mr. Ma's daily exploits throughout Hong Kong at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, as one word. You can email us here at the show at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can send questions, comments, or even an audio file if you have a comment or a short review you'd like to have played here on the program. And where else can they find you, Mr. Ma? Are you doing any interesting writing in the coming days? Um, yeah, you can check out my movie reviews on www.ypmovies.com.hk. Click to the English site. And this week you will see my review for um, the Natalie Portman movie, Love and Other Impossible Pursuits, also called The Other Woman um, in the States, which is uh, just came on video. So you will see my review for that this week, I think. Uh, you can also read my review for Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides over there as well. All right, so you can check out the things that Kevin has to say in the written form. Next show, episode 67, looks like we'll be covering A Beautiful Life and the Natalie Portman film, Love and Other Impossible Pursuits, uh, among other things. A couple weeks out, we've got some uh, big geeky movies coming, like, uh, what do we got, Uh, X-Men First Class and uh, 8mm and... uh, Kung Fu Panda 2, Hangover 2, uh, lots, of, lots of interesting stuff coming. Um, what do we have on the Hong Kong front? Uh, we've got Microsex Office. A Beautiful uh, Life, the new Andrew yeah, Lampy. That'll, that'll be next week. Um, a Beach Spike should be here fairly soon, so Chrissy Chow oh, fans rejoice. And so all that's coming in the future. So yeah, that's that. And until next time, as always, we will wish you good viewing. And we'll see you then. See you next time, everybody. Don't care. Don't care. Don't care. Because I don't care about Jack Sparrow's past. All I know is this weird dude who likes to wander around Mick Jagger for a father, you know, and that's fine with me. And I don't need any more of that crap. 
啊、uh, ，Bill Nye Bill sorry Bill Nye 是 scientist guy， Bill Nye Bill Nye， it's both it's it's the same I think it's the, actually pronounced the same they're both Bill Nye one is the science yeah, yeah, yeah. guy one is the love actually、yeah. guy so yeah love actually guy um you know his voice is great but or the, the underworld guy. There's no Orlando. You know, made me. I never thought there would be a movie that made me miss Orlando Bloom, and this is it. <laughs> this, I I was like, dude, bring back Orlando Bloom, bring back Kira Knightley. You know, getting from point A to point B. It's almost like Lord of the Rings with less with less stakes, and without the without the the dwarves.